Welcome to BNB with Ellie, Biohacking and Beyond, the podcast where we dive into the incredible world of self healing and mind body connection using biohacking and lessons from Germanic New Medicine. So, welcome everybody, and thank you once again for tuning in to this new episode of BNB with Ellie, Biohacking and Beyond. And today I have a really special guest. She is a member of GHK Global which is a a group of the thought leaders in the English-speaking world of GNM or Germanic New Medicine. And her name is Nellie Barnett. Hi, Nellie. Hi, Ellie. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. I know you're super busy, but Nellie, why don't you start off with telling us how you got started, what you do, where you're located, and all of that. For sure. So I'm based in Western Australia down in the beautiful south we pretty much live in paradise here which is amazing so anyone coming to visit make sure you come and say hi down in the southwest of WA. I've been here about eight years before that I was in Sydney for some time I did some traveling I'm originally from Adelaide and moving over here kind of coincides with my journey into Germany medicine as well so we moved here about nine eight and a half nine years ago now And just a little way into that, I was introduced to a friend of my partner's. I was having, I'd been in a really high stress corporate job for a while, and I just knew that my body wasn't working at its optimal state. And so my partner introduced me to his friend. And in that, this guy was a kinesiologist and we had a session. We spoke about fasting as well, which is sort of where my business started from because I ended up going on a month long fast. But in that same conversation, (laughs) there was a seed dropped about German new medicine. And he just, it was just, you know, mentioned in passing kind of thing. And I was like, what is that? And he gave me, you know, a little one paragraph spiel on it. And it was instant for me. It was so instant. I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I've been looking for. This absolutely feels like a truth. This is like putting a language to everything that I've intuitively known for a lifetime, but never quite had the, you know, the substance to put to it or the language to put to it. It was kind of in the realm of um, Louise Hayes and her metaphysical kind of associations, but it really nailed it scientifically. And that very much satisfied my brain because I, I like, I'm very open to all these things. I, you know, I always believed in emotional root causes, but I also have a very scientific brain and a brain that wants to know why and how, and like, show me some data. So GNM, GHK was just like nailed it for me. And I jumped straight into um, exploring it and studying it. Pretty much no one knew what I was talking about here in Australia back eight years ago. It was a very lone wolf path. But yeah, it just rang so much truth. It was like coming home for me, I call it. And so that's where, yeah, GNM began for me. If you want to go back a step further than that, I've got a like a, a history that's very rich in experience, I guess you could say. Yes, um, please. Yeah, been through, been through a whole myriad of experiences through life, some like not so fun at the time, but they all make sense now. Um, And Germany medicine, Germanic healing knowledge has really been a pathway to understanding those experiences, uh, following symptoms to, yeah, just, just understand myself better and understand how I perceive things at the time. So GNM JHK has really made a lot of sense of my, my past uh, which is beautiful. So there's, yeah, so many benefits and values to having this knowledge in our lives for sure. And yeah, from there, my business kind of kicked off. I, I started out in uh, the world of guided fasting because people were asking me what I was doing. Um, and I started integrating GNM, GHK into that right away. And I was already seeing, you know, seeing it in action and really observing results with it. 
Um, so yeah, I kind of took it and ran with it. And I've now studied with multiple teachers across the world. And, you know, I like to collect information from lots of different sources. There's lots of different perspectives is super helpful. Yeah. So that's kind of come together. And now I guess I, I like to think that I'm kind of leading the way in teaching and sharing GNM GHK in Australia. Um, it's definitely starting to get out there, just especially in the last few years. People, you know, when I say GNM GHK, they're like, oh, yeah, I've heard about that, as opposed to what on earth is that? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, great to see that community building. But um, yeah, that's kind of me in a in a nutshell. That is so cool. <laughs> I have so many questions, but but you're right that there there is an explosion this year, and it, there's such Huge. a big difference. Like so many people are starting to come out with it, and you know you start to follow people on on IG and and Facebook, and there's always a reference to mother child or partner side mm. and things of that nature, and because it deals with the laws of nature, and and the laws of nature deal with everything, <laughs> so it's yeah. it's pretty amazing to see. So I'm really interested in what you said about fasting. So I've been looking through your website. Site. And yes, there is guided fasting. Fasting is a biohacking trend. It's a, mm. it's a biohacking practice. It's one of the favorites. You know, Dave Asprey, my mentor, wrote a book all about fasting. What I love is that you're you're sort of combining it with GNM GHK. And let me know what is the link between the two, or how are you using or synergizing the two practices of GNM GHK and fasting in your practice with your clients? Yeah, for sure. So I actually I weave a lot of different things into my work. I like to say that um, GNM JHK is like the underpinning roadmap that is the foundation of all of my work. And then I have multiple um, modalities and tools that I can bring into that to help support people through the biological programs in alignment with the principles of GNM JHK. So yeah, certified breathwork facilitator, Reiki, I studied PT and gym instruction, timeline, therapy, hypnosis, NLP, all sorts of things, right? They're, they all have a place and value. But if we speak about fasting specifically, so like I said, GNM JHK is the foundation. What I find that fasting facilitates is two things, a physical and um, emotional side to fasting. So physically, when we fast, we, in my perspective, we give our body a break um, is the, the simplest way of explaining it. And so in that break, when our body is not having to send all its little army men to digesting, it can send its energy and its little army to doing other things like repair phases of biological programs, cleaning things out, you know, just giving the whole system a reset. And so I find that particularly for things like digestive issues, you know, indigestible morsel conflicts, just resting that whole system can be, it's like it supercharges the, you know, propels forwards the, the biological healing phases. It gives it like real space for that. And there's a certain, there's a couple of other sort of biological programs that I find that it's really helpful for as well. But there are some that are contraindicators. So there are some that I don't recommend um, if you're running a certain biological program that you fast, a liver, a liver conflict, a starvation conflict would be one of those. You know, if we're already in a starvation conflict, it's probably not a great idea to go and put, you know, something that the body might recognize as starvation on top of that. Yeah, it's it's very much independent. Like, you know, it's really down to the individual as to what is appropriate and not. Then when we come to the emotional side of things, again, I, I find that fasting gives us this real space. Um, you know, so many of us use food as a as a push it down kind of mechanism. And when we take that out of the equation, all sorts of things come up instead. And so I find that there's a real clarity that comes with fasting and that that can help people um, both find the DHS and also come to points of resolution within themselves. 
And that's kind of what I use a lot of my other tools for. You know, breathwork is an amazing tool for, um, you know, coming to your own inner clarity around possible resolutions and finding events in our past that fit um, the DHS moments as well. So, yeah, that's, that's, I guess, in a nutshell, how the two kind of weave in together. It's a huge conversation. Like, There's so many tangents I could take there. But, yeah, feel free to yeah. fire away, oh. Christian. Wow, that, that makes so much sense. And I love the way you're flexible. It's like it's not a hard and fast rule that it's, you know, a fa panacea that everybody fasts for all of this, which is what you normally see in the health space where, oh, fasting is good for everybody, period. But actually, it's not. It should be really qualified. There are certain factors, like what you said, it shouldn't be used for a lot of other biological programs. Like, for example, also in the cancer programs where there, there might be emaciation that's happening, mm. you wouldn't really want to use fasting. And, and I love what you said, that it, there are some that it, where it's contraindicated. But in your experience, have you seen a magic window of fasting the magic length of fasting in your experience mm, probably probably not actually to be completely honest again it's so unique to everyone right and there's so many different forms of fasting too so the kind of fasting that I was guiding people through was between two to four weeks depending on where they're at their body weight um you know their vitality all sorts of things um but then we have you know intermittent fasting as well which I'm sure you're familiar with which is a like a daily fasting or a two and five kind of scenario there's so many different forms but even something <clears throat> as small as like a, a three-day fast can be really amazing just for kind of resetting the system but it is I just have to stress again it's so unique and independent like I couldn't say like you said there's no one hard and fast you know scenario for anyone it really needs to be a case by case and there's a lot of things we need to look at to make sure that it is appropriate for the person like for example at the moment so I haven't done any fasting for a few years because I've been pregnant and breastfeeding and I've also just recently discovered that there's a something going on in my body called a leptin resistance I don't know if you're familiar with this but it's a it, it tends towards a weight holding and fasting is is contraindicator because it's a stress and basically with leptin resistance stress exacerbates that so we want to keep as much stress out of the equation as possible so it's just like yeah it, it's person by person case by case but yeah something as simple as a three-day fast can be beautiful right up to you know much longer fasts my I've personally fasted for uh, the month of February so 28 days is my longest fast and that was a complete life changer and game changer for me but it's not for everyone so yeah right and you and 28 days is that completely no food or was it a water fast what what kind of fast did you do yes yeah, so that was a cold pressed juice fast so consuming only cold pressed juices and herbal teas and water um so no no solids at all and yeah it was a, a it was a life-changing process for sure <laughs> Wow, I can imagine. And what I love is that it's a guided fasting service that you do that I, I do believe that clients do need to be guided. They can't just be told, okay, stop eating and stop drinking everything. Just have cold water pressed juice or cold water fast food coffee and that's it. Because yeah. there's a lot of things that, that can happen. Have you seen any complications that have happened or any weird awakenings or epicrises that, you know, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I've had come people come to me and be like, I just did this massive fast and now I have these issues because the body and mind haven't been prepared and for that process. Um, so it's really important that, yeah, we prepare both the body and the mind for the process. We don't want the psyche to be shocked by the fast at all. We don't want it to go into a starvation program or, you know, there's other programs that it could potentially set off. That's really important that there is a, a, a level of consciousness and awareness to 
somebody starting a fast. And so, yeah, personally, I do believe that if you're going to explore fasting, it should be in a guided container to begin with. You can certainly run with it after that. But preparing for the fast and breaking the fast are really crucial elements um, that are very important to get right, both on the, the mental and physical level. Right. And and how do you break the fast? So first of all, how do you prepare? And then how do you break the fast? What's the what's the process and what goes into that? Yeah, sure. So mentally preparing for the fast, it's things like, um, you know, setting up your psyche to understand that you're not going into a period of starvation, you're going into a period of abstinence by choice. So um, making sure that you feel at a core level that food is available at any time if you want it, if you need it, but you're choosing to abstain. Um, So there's processes we use to kind of set the mind up for that. Um, And on a physical level, I generally um, have clients complete a bowel detox before the process as well um, and have a few weeks of kind of really reining in the diet and cleaning up the diet to eliminate a few things first, coffee, alcohol, processed foods, that sort of thing. So the body's kind of eased into it. So yeah, there are two important elements in the preparation. And then at the other side with the breakfast, it's really important to do it so slowly and really, um, you know, have it as a, it's almost like a bit of a ceremony. You really, it really needs due diligence, the breakfast. I did not. I learned the hard way. And so now I have a story to tell so that my clients can learn from me um, because I did not listen to my mentor. And I was like, oh, food, amazing. And ended up, you know, like naked on the bathroom floor, thinking that my stomach was going to explode out of my chest. It was extremely painful. So please, if you're going to um, explore fasting, make sure that your, your breakfast is done slowly. Um, you know, the digestive um, enzymes of the body kind of, you know, go a little bit dormant. So we need to make sure that we introduce foods bit by bit and one at a time, introduce single food groups, keep your portions really small, your stomach does shrink. And so, yeah, you need to gently ease yourself back in there for sure is one of the, and funnily enough, like mentally, sometimes people find the break fast harder than the actual fast. And they're kind of like, you know, there's almost a little bit of a, a grieving process of letting go of the fast at the end there. So lots can come up there too. Um, so yeah, high levels of self-awareness and um, yeah, just go gently. That is so interesting. I understand the mind-body connection that goes into a fast and it, it, it has been used in rituals, ancient rituals. And, you know, it's it's also practiced in, you know, religious festivals and, and holidays and all of that. So yes, there, mm-hmm. there definitely has to be, um, it calls in a demand to connect the mind and body. And mm. I think that's that's really powerful. And I love that you're doing that. Um, I, but I see that you have so many tools in your arsenal. <laughs> and so you have NLP, there's Ericksonian hypnosis, timeline therapy. Do you use a blend of all of your modalities with fasting? Or do you use them individually one after the other? Yeah, there's again, there's like no set hard and fast to it, right? It's so unique to the individual. And this is what GNMGHK is all about. It's about not pe- putting people in boxes. We don't run by diagnosis labels. We look at the unique individual and their unique symptoms and what's happening. A, a diagnosis label, label doesn't necessarily mean a lot in GNMGHK. We've really got to break it down to what the individual is experiencing and and then Um, you know, relevant to that, the tools that I use are very unique to the individual and their needs as well. So, um, and I do love that, you know, I have that wide range to choose from now. I'm sort of a serial, serial learner. I love learning. 
And so, um, yeah, different people need different things. And and I, I draw from that toolkit depending on where they're at and what they need. I totally agree. I have the same. I use more or less the same kinds of tools, uh, timeline therapy, Ericksonian hypnosis, like conversational hypnosis. And, you know, it, it really depends on the person because it's so bio-individual and depending on where their psyche mm -hmm. is at or what they're ready to receive or release, then you would match the appropriate tool. So it really is good to have uh, different kinds of modalities because you never know what's going to hit you at that very moment, what that person really needs. Absolutely. And, you know, a word of caution too around, uh, you know, going too hard, too much, too fast, too fast, too much, too soon um, yes. is, is a real thing. Like we need to be really assessing each individual case, including ourselves and where we're at in that timeline as well. You know, what's right for one person in one cycle of their life might not be right for them in another cycle of life or with another biological program. We really have to, yeah, step into the person's shoes and really deeply feel into where they're at and what they need and consider safety elements around that as well in determining, you know, what we use with them. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I'm not sure if you're aware about, you know, how GNM, GHK, it's, it's very dogmatic. So I'm in the educator course right mm -hmm. now with the Pillar Academy, and they're very much into causal therapy. So basically, they, they don't really like hypnosis and EFT and all of that. And it's because Dr. Hammer didn't teach that at all. He just used causal therapy. For me, I'm in that mindset where well, we can, I'll use causal therapy first. Let's see, let's look at the root cause of this diagnosis. What's the psychobiological wiring behind this particular SBS or Sensible Biological Special Program? But how can we assist the psyche gracefully and safely through this process? Is that something that you also encountered in your own practice over the past eight years? Yeah, 100%. And I absolutely appreciate where the, you know, steadfast traditional GNM, GHK community are coming from because there is an importance in retaining the purity of the information and not letting it get, you know, too watered down. So I, I, I get that. And simultaneously, in my experience with people, these tools can be helpful because sometimes the practical situation can't necessarily be resolved you know or it's in the past or you know there's so many different um, scenarios here so yeah I have found things to be really helpful in the resolution processes of supporting and nurturing um, one psyche and mind through resolutions one thing I do want to speak to here is the importance of I believe coming from my field and my perspective the importance of conscious resolutions as opposed to subconscious resolutions so I'm I'm very, very careful with where I, in fact, to be honest, I don't use a lot of hypnosis anymore at all for if we're talking about biological programs, because if we are bypassing the conscious mind and working subconsciously, we run the risk of that not sticking per se, I guess you could say. It's really important to me that someone is very actively conscious of what their DHS was and the resolution. So yeah, I'm, I'm just really careful with uh, modalities that kind of work beneath the, the person's conscious awareness, if that makes sense. Because um, I, And I do think there's yeah value in what they kind of share there in the traditional community. 
Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I am certified also in conversational hypnotherapy, but it's a very, 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 very last thing I ever use. Mm. And, you know, in a series of sessions, I, I may use it or I may not, but it's not the only modality that I use. So would you say that NLP would be something where you kind of meet the conscious with the subconscious, where there is a conscious awareness, but there is also the participation of the subconscious in the process? Yeah, I think so. Like most people that you speak to who have um, explored and, you know, worked with NLP or experienced an NLP session, they have a conscious awareness of what the issue was and what the resolution is. So that's that's the important part to me um, is we can definitely, you know, there are definitely things we can do to work with the psyche and work with the brain to rewire the way that things are seen and experienced. And I find that highly beneficial in, in finding some resolutions, but just so long as the patient is aware of what's happened and what's going on and how things were and how things are now, that's, I guess, the, the main differentiation. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And, you know, it goes along the lines of what Dr. Hammer would teach is that only the person's psyche can heal itself or can make itself whole. Yeah. And therefore, you're just the guide or the, or the person who supports them while they go through it. But it's really just that person's psyche. And a yeah. lot of times, I'm not sure if you've, you've experienced this, that we don't even need to go to NLP or hypnosis or time eye therapy. It's just a matter of, hey, this is your DHS. This could be your DHS. And this is what happened. For example, when there are cancer patients and you know the exact DHS, the exact biological conflict, and you let them know, and they have this big aha moment, like this light bulb. Oh yeah, now I know. And sometimes that's enough. There's no need to go yeah, further. Yeah. And the psyche just drops the weight on their soul. And then we would just manage fear, their fear around death and their fear around the functions of their body. And when that is attenuated, sometimes it's just really simple. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I believe that's partially because if we can bring that awareness to it, the psyche understands, oh, this is actually no longer problematic for me, right? Like I'm in a different place to what I was then. Um, and that isolation factor. So, you know, the, the three criterion of the first biological law, um, you know, caught on the wrong foot, unexpected, isolated, all the things there. And when we take that isolation factor away and somebody is able to sit there in front of you and deeply share what they really went through, there's such relief in that as well, feeling like they're not alone in this and, and you know, they don't have to hold it all in. There's no skeletons in the closet anymore. Um, and really recognizing that event, like you say, you can absolutely, you know, bring resolution just in itself in, in recognizing it and acknowledging it for sure. And I find that, like you said, you know, some, a lot of the time we don't actually even need to use these tools. Like you said, NLP, all these things, what I find potentially even more valuable than those things is learning to ask really good questions. This is like a pivotal art piece in the flow of GNMGHK and helping someone, um, you know, come to their own resolutions is learning to ask really good questions or quality questions, as I call them. I used to do a process called the brain bath, where we kind of like take an event and, and go through a process where we ask all these questions to come to a different perspective on an event. Um, and so, yeah, getting, getting good at asking questions is perhaps one of the most valuable things we can do as a GNMGHK consultant. Yeah, I love it. And it's also like, um, kind of like making it a game, like converting mm -hmm. your, your fear into curiosity. So what did your psyche pick up this time? What are your tracks? What are the extended tracks? What happened before the symptoms came out? 
and it, it does become like a game it, it does become fun and then when you kind of laugh at it or don't take it too seriously then it becomes um easier it just becomes the you know the weight just lifts off just like that just so quickly yeah something that I just I think is really funny right when I was a kid there were a couple of things that I wanted to be you know I went through all the different phases of what am I going to be when I'm older and some were really creative I loved floristry and art and stuff but two of the ones that really stuck with me for a long time is I wanted to be a detective and I wanted to be a pediatrician and I didn't formally end up being either of those things through you know conventional yeah. systems however <laughs> right now I'm pretty much a detective yeah. and I'm working with a, a new form of medicine so I think that's really um ironic but it is detective work right I would like, put our little hat on and get our little glasses out and really dig in and investigate uh, and ask those questions I'm getting goosebumps because I heard from Robert Greene in his book Mastery that your five-year-old self knows exactly what you're going to be in Ooh. this world yeah and then, you know, when you get your period and all, you kind of set that aside. And then later on, you it kind of, you kind of pick it up in middle age when you're no longer, you don't no longer have to be a mother and wife where, you know, you're pretty much done with that. It comes back. And that is so cool that, you know, you wanted that you're actually doing that. And in, there's so much truth to that. Mm, in a completely different form. Like I never imagined <laughs> I would be here, right? But I think it's so fun. So Nellie, did you have any, for yourself, like, did you have any GNM, GHK, uh, personal success stories like in your own body did you have any sbs's that you resolved through gnm ghk or had realizations in a later time retroactively looking at past programs yeah definitely so many you know there's so many convinces definitely like a, a i won't say reoccurring but a quite a poignant one for me is i do tend to i have a tendency towards self-devaluation conflicts as so many of us do, especially, especially, I would say, especially women in the world that we're living in at the moment. And those of us who are really driven as well and value, you know, intelligence and these sorts of things, we do tend to have self-devaluation yeah, as a commonality. So lots of back pain and neck pain that I've been able to resolve, yeah, really well through the GNM GHK principles. That's been definitely a highlight for me um, because there was a time where I thought I would, you know, my mom had lots of back pain and I thought I would just have to live with lots of back pain my whole life. And now when something comes up, I'm usually able to nail it pretty quickly. So yeah, that's really cool. I had some really gnarly migraines and visual disturbances there for a while and was able to come to a resolution of those so they're not in play anymore um, there was a frontal frontal fear in play there that all resolved so that was really cool and I was able to see the threads that had a lot to do with my kids and fearing for their safety when they weren't in my vicinity and that was really interesting to resolve that one. And then probably the biggest one for me, and if anyone else has heard me on a podcast, you probably have heard this story already because <laughs> it's one that I share. And it is like heads up warning. Some people might find this too much information, but I ran a, a really gnarly thrush program for a couple of years. And so it started when we moved into the house that we're in now. It was our first home that we'd, we'd bought as our own home. So that was, yeah, uh, about eight years ago now, seven, eight years ago. I started, ran for two years and I was uh, well into GNM, GHK by that time. So I was like determined not to take medication or just, you know, do something to make it go away. I really dug deep and explored into that. And I knew, I, I was fairly certain that it had something to do with a sexual experience that I, that I had when I was really young and that then kind of like added up through experiences as well. So there was something about moving into this house that that instigated me moving into the resolution phase, but not 
completing it. It was a hanging healing for two years. Yeah, I went on this exploratory journey to basically resolve this experience from when I was really young. Mm-hmm. And literally the day that I put the final puzzle piece into this scenario, everything, like all my symptoms went away literally overnight. So I remember having, and the, the final puzzle, the interesting thing is, right, that this journey needed to take two years because who I ended up being at the end of that two years, had I not had that journey. So if I had just resolved this hanging healing and program overnight, right when it started back at the start of two years, when we moved into this house, I wouldn't have had that journey that I, that I went on to come to that resolution. And that journey actually changed me as a person. There was huge personal evolution in that for me. And so I'm completely different person now as to what I was at the beginning of that. And if I hadn't had that journey, I wouldn't be. So I think there is a trust in the divine timing and order and process of these things as well that needs to come into play. Uh, But yeah, the day that I put the final puzzle piece into place with that program, it literally wrapped up overnight and I've never had any symptoms again since. So that was like my absolute kind of clincher moment, my convincer moment with GNM GHK. Yeah, it just it just made all of it made so much sense to me. And I literally remember that moment. You know, Dr. Hama says the stone falls from the soul. Yes. Um, and, a, and a terminology that I've actually been exploring with my community lately in, in the academy that I run is a return to innocence is what also that moment feels like when the stone falls from the soul, when you really hit that resolution point. It is a return to innocence. It's a return to just like, yes. ah. And I remember that moment so distinctly, just like literally that weight falling off of my shoulders. So yeah, that that's probably my the height of my personal experience there. That one. Wow. Kinesthetically, I can feel the relief. Kinesthetically, mm. it's just so strong because I've felt that before as well in my own programs. But two things, I mean, what's so wonderful about what you said is that what was in the way became the way. And th- that's mm-hmm. so beautiful. And it was kind of programmed by your younger self in a way. And another thing that you said is divine right timing and divine right order, that it unfolds in its own time. And there is rhyme and reason, even if it doesn't seem like it. But it also depends on the person, whether they choose to to make it such, to make it that way. Sometimes you could use it to just disintegrate yourself and, and, you know, become smaller. But you could actually look at it as a way to become bigger and better, which you did. That was amazing. And Nelly, just to make clear, this is a thrush. This Was this oral candidiasis? Vaginal. Vaginal. Yeah. So it was, yeah. So it was an, as far as I can work out, it was obviously like I I didn't have my CT scans done, but as far as I can work out from my symptoms and my experience, I believe it to be an ugly conflict with a male, a gender conflict that's, yeah, that set off the the program. So yeah, that was a really interesting process to go through. It was pretty full on. Yeah. Pretty full on. And I'm sure, you know, so many women have experienced this. And I guess like just a a word here, ladies, like you don't have to live with this. It doesn't have to be reoccurring. It can absolutely be resolved naturally. Yeah, there's there's so much. It's a really interesting process. And what I kind of touched on there and what you've alluded to as well is, you know, one of the hidden gems of Germany medicine, shamanic healing knowledge is that it gives us the opportunity to um, evolve personally. So we get the choice to mask our symptoms and remain as we are, 
or to follow the symptoms and find extraordinary personal transformation and change within following that path. And I think that's really, you know, this is woven into the fifth biological law, the quintessence, you know, divine timing and order in all things. And I I really believe it's a a beautiful, beautiful hidden gem part of GNMJHK is the opportunity that it provides us to tread that path. I love that, Nelly. And I'm my heart chakra, I'm sorry if I'm being woo-woo, but my heart chakra is like <laughs> bursting wide open here. There's so much hope for everybody if they see it this way and through the lens of dramatic new medicine. It's just fantastic. And you're right about the quintessence. It's just, it, there's nothing is ever right or wrong. There's nothing binary. There's always um, an intention, a biological purpose and intent. Everything mm. is biologically significant as deemed by nature. That is so beautiful. So Nelly, do you do consultations? And next is if you do, what are the like the big, bright, successful stories that you've um, experienced with your clients? Yeah, I do do consultations. Um, at the moment, I'm I'm trying to guide people into um, our foundations and practitioner courses for a number of reasons. My capacity is quite quite limited. I get you know like literally a lot, a lot, dozens and dozens of inquiries each week. And it's far more than I can facilitate. And one of my highest values is empowerment of the individual. And so it's one thing to be, to to work with someone, but it's another to really understand and embody the knowledge and have it for a lifetime to even, you know, pass down to your kids and your loved ones. So yeah, I'm really trying to direct people into the GNM Foundations course and my Prac Academy so that they can understand the information for themselves and be supported in that process as well. So yeah, that that's kind of like a driver for me at the minute because I just feel that we can impact a lot of people in that way. And in terms of success stories, yeah, so many. It's like it's been such a joy to work in this space for the last eight years. Some of the like so many headaches, lots of headaches and migraines that I've seen completely resolved and that you know it can be a really debilitating one for people headaches and migraines it might seem like you know a a seemingly you know somewhat small symptom but yeah it can be really debilitating so lots of uh, resolutions of those I've definitely worked with a lot of women's health so a lot of menstrual cycle work you know missing menstrual cycles or menstrual cycles that are that are not kind of in sync and, and going well fertility is one that I've worked with a lot you know, we have babies on the ground, so we definitely have some cool resolutions there. Yes. Um, what else has been amazing? Digestive system stuff. So um, there was one particular case, a Crohn's, like labeled as Crohn's disease or Crohn's. Um, and we we got that down to understanding that that was to do with a situation where this this woman's house was broken into and nothing was actually taken but it was it was like ransacked destroyed and it was left in a real mess and she got that phone call to say that her house had been broken into while she was at the pub eating pizza and so we started an indigestible muscle conflict right and everything that's in that realm and so when we kind of were able to detach those two things she was able to go back to eating pretty much whatever she wanted which is super cool so that was yeah that was a really cool one but just so many like really lots of back pain and neck pain I guess because that's been my experience too like that is one I love working with it's a real like it's an amazing entry point into GNM GHK I don't know if you've worked with neck and back pain and shoulder pain it's, it's extremely satisfying, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? Because we can get a resolution. We can get a change quite quickly. Um, like usually in one session, I can, I've seen people go from, you know, 13 years of neck pain up at a level eight to 10 down to like 
zero to two in 60 minutes in one session, which is just phenomenal, you know, when we really nail it. So yeah, they're probably some of the, some that stick in my mind are some of my favorite. Yeah. That's experiences. Amazing. You said you had a, a visual conflict. Was it a, a fear in the neck or was it like a visual yeah. muscle? Was yeah, it was the fear in the neck. Yeah. And so that's, thank you for jogging my memory. So it was the fear in the neck that was, yep, that was, that was causing the visual distortions and the fear in the neck was to do with my children. So it was my children's safety that I was concerned for. There had been a couple of things um, where they'd been in the care of someone else and basically like long story short, they'd been in the care of somebody else and and that person hadn't met me where I was meant to be meeting them and I couldn't contact them. And so like I was really caught off guard with that because they had my, they had my kid and I was like, I don't know, I don't know where my kid is and I don't know where they are. And right. um, so, yeah, and I, I noticed I kept a diary of when I would get these visual distortions and it's happening almost every time after my kids were with someone else. So if I had someone, you know, come into my home and, and look after them, a new person, while I was working or if they were out with friends or yeah, I was the attachment, the track was there that, yeah. And then when they would come back into my care, then the resolution phase would start and I'd get the symptoms and then that instigates. So what I had to do as well was separate. Um, so the migraine was separate to that. So the migraine was like the frontal fear of the visual distortions and the fear in the neck. Right. And so I thought it was all kind of one program but when I broke it down I realized that I was running two and one was setting off the other because I to begin with I was really scared you know when they started I didn't have a, a great knowledge of GNMJHK and so I would go into this and it was quite frightening right like because I, I yeah. lose peripheral vision and I had distortions and it was weird so that was instigating the migraine and once I was able to separate and understand that the visual distortion was not dangerous per se then I was able to knock out the migraines first. So I would still get the the visual distortions, but I wouldn't get the migraine that followed up. And I was able to just, I, I could see myself going through the two-phase diagram. It was so fascinating. So I'd get the distortions and I would know that they would last about 10 to 15 minutes and then they would subside. And then I would just be absolutely wiped. I'd have to just lay down. I was completely fatigued and I would just need to let that rest. So that was PCLB, right? The tail end of healing phase and yeah so I could see myself moving through that two-phase diagram which was fascinating but it was great to knock out the migraines first and then when I was able to nail all the different tracks that I had attached to that and and my you know fear for my kids basically then yeah I haven't had one for a while now wow so, congrats oh my yeah, god <laughs> amazing and that's how nuanced it is right it's it's mm. like so much exploration investigation you really have to be a good yeah. detective and, and tracks are just, just so interesting what the psyche records at that time as an extended track or an original track, things of that nature. And somebody like you, somebody who's felt it in her own body, first of all, can be a really um, effective guide for people like this, for yeah. people to, to know what their DHS is and what their tracks are, and then to nail it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So what are some of your favorite programs that you've worked with? What are some of your big moments, your big aha moments? I have somebody with introductal breast cancer that's in mm. a healing phase and it's the bloody oozy pussy smelly part mm. and the, the breast is three times its size and there's no fear 
and oh wow just, yeah waiting for it to get smaller in the next eight to nine months you know i find that when you manage their expectations and let them understand nature that you know a tree doesn't grow back in a day it mm. needs months in order for even the first shoot to come out so we have to go with nature's um timeline and there's no secondary conflict there's no secondary uh fear of death conflict death fire conflict or self-devaluation conflict or liver conflict with that it's just a primary conflict and that's it and she understands it and she's completely fine yeah that's amazing ellie because the breast can be so tricky to work with in that context not so much the you know the program itself can be tricky but like you're saying the secondary programs there can be they can they can be the devastating ones to be completely honest like when we start to to add them all up so yeah, well done keeping her calm and, and celebrating her as well for being able to keep herself in that that fear-free space. That is amazing. Beautiful. Absolutely. I love your analogy with the tree too. Super cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And wait, non-GHK, but I, I read this in your website and it piqued my interest. It's, it's <laughs> uh, your dream home. You said you were a single mother for about five years and then you manifested a caravan and you went around <laughs> your dream home on wheels with your daughter who was two years old. How was yeah. that? What were the yeah. big epiphanies that came out of that? Oh man, that was like such a cool trip. So yeah, I was like, and I'd, so I had a restaurant when my daughter was born. So life was pretty hectic. I was like a sole proprietor and basically a single mom. And um, then I sold the restaurant and I was just sitting at home and I was like, not coping with it at all. <laughs> this, is, this is shit, excuse my language. But um, so yeah, I bought a caravan and I, we, we took off. So this is when we left Adelaide. So she was two and a half. And yeah, we had this like 1970s caravan that was like, you know, simple, but did the job. And I was pulling it with my Subaru Outback, which is not like a massive touring car, right? Like it did the job, but it was pretty funny looking back. And anyway, so we left Adelaide. One of the pivotal points of that journey was that I had planned to go west first. So there's this turnoff that like you go west and you basically start your journey across the Nullarbor. But I got to this turn off and I just kept going straight. I didn't turn, I didn't turn off. And so I ended up going through the middle of Australia um, instead of to the west of Australia. And I completely reversed my trip. And that was like one of those sliding doors moments, right? Because where that took me, what that meant was that I was up in Darwin when there was a, a big skydive event on and I was a skydiver at the time and I right. ended up meeting my now partner at that skydive <gasps> event um, and so many other friends so it just like that sliding doors moment is so crazy and that was one of the coolest oh times of my life that I've ever had I loved that journey with her so much another moment I remember is when I was on that that road up the one that I wasn't meant to be on um, I crossed over, I think I was crossing over the border of like South Australia and Northern Territory. And it was like that, you know, it was starting to come into, you know, like afternoon sun, there was just this glorious sun pouring in my car. And I'd been having a pretty rough time back at back at home in Adelaide. And I just had this moment where I was like, oh my God, I've been spending 90% of my time giving energy to like the wrong things and the wrong people. Not that the people themselves are wrong, but they and I were not not conducive and aligned for that that time and space of our lives. And I, it was like that moment that was like, oh my God, what have I been doing? 
And it was such, again, like just a relief moment. And yeah, we just had this incredible trip. We saw so much of Australia. It was so beautiful. Um, And, you know, like I I believe that I didn't know GNMGHK at that time, but I believed I resolved a lot of programs on that trip as well. And, you know, one of the, the per se therapies in Germany medicine is also nature. It's, yes. it's, it's reconnection with nature. There is, um, there is like a, a bit of information there that oh, I don't want to butcher this, but that we came originally from the sea, from the ocean that we evolved from the sea. And so going back home to the sea and back home to the ocean, things like magnesium baths and swimming in the ocean a lot can be really soothing for programs as well. And I was definitely on the coast a lot during that trip and you know, spending a lot of time at the beach and a lot of time in the ocean. So yeah, that was, yeah, it was a trip of a lifetime and I met my now partner. Yeah. So happy days. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Look at this. All It feels like all Rosalie to GHK. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, and I, because, right. Because I came into GNM through him. So my partner's name is Dan oh. and my partner's friend's name is also Dan and so Dan introduced me to Dan and Dan introduced me to GNMGSK <laughs> so had I not turned left if I hadn't gone straight if I had turned left at that intersection would I have come to know GNMGSK insane your five-year-old has been guiding you ever since insane <laughs> my gosh so I've got a 13 year old and a two and okay. a half year old yeah. Okay. But yeah, okay. still breastfeeding. Still breastfeeding. Okay. So yeah. I w- was going to ask if you were, how do you apply GHK to pregnancy? Because pregnancy in itself is a, is a special biological, is a sensible mm. special. Okay. Ali. <laughs> sensible biological special program. <laughs> so I was wondering. Yeah. How. And you, I guess you have a two and a half year old and you, you had already been in, in GHK then. Did you apply some of the concepts to that? Like your inner awareness? Yeah, definitely. It was just an awareness. And I I guess I conducted life a bit differently in this pregnancy to what I did in the beginning. I was just conscious of things like, you know, not being around loud noises and things like this, you know, it can cause so um, Down syndrome caused by a double hearing conflict. And so at a pivotal point in the development, it can be set off by loud noises or by hearing conflicts. So I was just yeah, really conscious that I knew I was going to be in sympathetic state for that first part of the pregnancy and then parasympathetic state for the latter two thirds. And so just working with them, I fortunately have never, like with both pregnancies, I haven't had too many symptoms or, you know, too much, too much trouble. I haven't really had a lot of nausea in either and that kind of thing. So I've been pretty lucky, but yeah, I was just mindful of like, okay, you know, in this first trimester, I'm just going to really make sure I'm living in a way that's less likely to instigate potential conflicts. I didn't have any uh, scans up until I had one scan and I requested that we wait until I think I had it done at 20, I reckon I was like 21 weeks or something, but I, I held off uh, because a scan again can instigate, you know, a lot of conflicts for the child in that developmental stage. And I asked for that scan to be very quick. I was like, just go in, check what you need to and get out, please. I don't. And that was, it was interesting standing up for that. Like that was fought against. Sure. I was yeah, I went in and, you know, they were horrified that I hadn't had a scan yet at 20 something weeks. And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of invitation for fear there. Oh yeah. To put it that way. And I was like, no, I'm good. Just get in, do what you need to do and get out. Thanks. 
And, and the birth itself, did you stand up for yourself as well, stand up for your rights? I know how they kind of force the vaccine on them as soon as mm. they you know, get birth. There's also potential for a lot of separation conflicts that can happen at the birth. How was that for you? Yeah. So again, like, I don't know whether to call it lucky or not, but both of my children have been home births, which is really beautiful. So I was a home birth with my mom. Um, my mom is relatively mainstream, but I was a home birth. And so for me, that was normal. That was like, okay, this is what we do. This is how we birth. And so I'd never really considered even going to hospital when I was first pregnant. Yeah, I had a, a home birth with my daughter, which was very unusual at that time of space. And I had a lot of friends very concerned for me. And so fortunately, you know, that pressure is not quite so much in a home birth. I had a midwife who was um, not aligned with vaccines. She gave me both sides of information to look at. And I went and looked at them. And as soon as I, you know, any kind of depth into them, I was like, no, no way. And it, 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 to be honest, it never felt right in my gut anyway. And then when I looked at both, you know, both forms of information, I was like, no, no way, not (laughs) happening. So fortunately, yeah, I didn't have that, that conventional medicine pressure on me in that immediate sense. And the separation was never going to be an issue for me there either, because I was in my own space with my child. So both of my kids are exceptionally healthy. And I really do think that that has a lot to do with how we birthed and and how we live and how we parent. GNMJHK has made such an impact on our parenting and, and lifestyle as a family. So yeah, she was home birth and then my son recently was home birth as well. And again, you know, no real pressure. Still get a bit of pressure from like the nurses want the the um, mainstream medical nurses want to do like home visits and stuff with me, mm-hmm. but I just, I declined. Yeah, because they're not, you know, they are pro-vaccine and then they're not uh, into co-sleeping, which we do as well. So <laughs> yeah, for me, look, and, and please be like, there's no right and wrong here. I totally, I 100% trust everyone's journey with, you know, pregnancy and birth. And this whole topic can be such a, a tricky place for so many mothers. And I'm very, very conscious of instigating, you know, any guilt or shame or, you know, I don't want to invite any of that. I 100% trust everyone's journey where they're at. And, and what they choose for their children. Um, but for me personally, this is what felt right and aligned. And I believe that it's yeah got a lot to do with our state of well-being in our family. Absolutely. Thank you. And before I get into all the courses that you're, that I'm so, so interested in all the courses that you're offering, I wanted to ask, as you mentioned, that maybe fasting is contraindicated for breastfeeding. Is that true? And why? Yeah. So I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Definitely not during pregnancy. And I wouldn't recommend it during um, breastfeeding because you're giving all your nourishment and, you know, everything out to this child. And so then to not be consuming nourishment while you're also putting out in in quite a big way, doesn't feel aligned for me. For me, breastfeeding is a time to be focusing on a lot of nourishment and nurturing in, you know, really in all the different ways, mentally, physically, emotionally, we need to nourish the mother for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. And a lot of women, I think, need to hear this. I think it it sometimes can be dangerous when something is touted to be the best thing in the world for your health. And then, you know, they take it on during times when when they shouldn't, where Mm. they're taking care of the the life force of another human. So, yes. Well, in GNMJHK, so basically for as long as you're breastfeeding, you are effectively in, they they liken it to PCLB, right? It's the tail end of healing phase. So, for as long as you're breastfeeding, you are kind of still healing from that epicrisis of giving birth, right? 
And so it needs to be, yeah, a time of nourishment, a time of rebuilding, a time of just, yeah, rest and rejuvenation. Yeah. And I love it when you see it from a GNM GHK lens, it just makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let's get into that. Um, Nelly, uh, let us know, do you teach this kind of thing about pregnancy and birth and what are the other courses that you're offering? Yeah. So I kind of weave everything into my two main offerings at the moment are the New Earth Wellness Empowered Health Academy. Um, that's my kind of like umbrella um, academy. And within that, I have the GNM GHK Foundations course and community. So that's a self-paced course that you can join at any time. It has six modules plus a waiting room in there and it's self-paced, but it's also highly supported because we have our community and you have touch points with me. We have monthly calls and we're about to add to that as well. It's a really, really supported, nourishing community. And that's for you know the everyday person to come and learn Germany medicine, Germanic healing knowledge, learn the basics of it, but most importantly, learn how to implement it into our lives because that's what I found was really, really missing for me when I first started out studying it. It was like, this information is amazing. It all makes sense, but how on earth do I use this and how on earth do I like embody this? So I focus a lot on, yeah, how to, how to utilize the information in that course. Um, And then that leads into my holistic practitioner integration course. And I call it a holistic practitioner integration course because there is no such thing as a GNM JHK practitioner. We can be consultants or we can be teachers, but we can't actually do anything to anyone. So that course is a much more advanced course. That's a 12 month course. Um, and that is really an invitation for holistic practitioners to come in and learn GNMGHK in depth and be able to, you know, use it kind of like I do as a foundation to my work and see how it integrates with what you're already doing um, and really, you know, up-level client results through weaving that information into practice. So they're my main two offerings at the moment. Um, and I'm really putting a lot of energy into to growing those both in numbers and community, but also in the value that's in them. So yeah, we're always adding calls. You get lifetime access to both as well, which I think is really important. Um, and I know that not a lot of people offer that. I do because there is so much more information still to come in the GNM GHK world. You know, some of Dr. Hammer's works haven't even been translated into English yet. Um, he was an extraordinary man, a genius, but he was one man in one lifetime. And I just feel like we're going to keep, um, you know, expanding this knowledge. So um yeah, once you've paid to join those, it's it's lifetime access. So you get access to the calls going on for life. You get access to the Facebook community for life. You get access to the information and any updates I make. And yeah, I really value nurturing my community in those spaces. So yeah, they're my main two offerings at the moment. And then, you know, for individuals, I do offer one-on-one work with fasting, with fertility and with, you know, GNM, JHK consults too. Fantastic. And would you repeat again, all of the uh, internet portals of communication? So your IGFB and your website? Yeah, for sure. So website is currently www.nellybwell.com. Um, Instagram, I'm over at Nelly underscore New Earth Wellness and Facebook's still under Nelly Be Well at the moment. We are transitioning everything over to that New Earth Wellness. Um, but yeah, a little bit, a little bit in both. Little, one foot here, <laughs> one foot there at the moment. And you'll, you'll find me somewhere either way. Okay, we'll we'll include all of that in the show notes so that everybody can just click. And I believe that where you're at, we have the same time zone, right? Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. So our community, the Filipino community can actually join yours with no problem. Because I find it such, it's so hard to join the European and the, the North American communities because of the time difference. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the reasons that I put together these courses too. So, you know, Andy is a great friend and colleague and I've studied with Andy and Melissa is a great friend and colleague. And, you know, there's so many amazing offerings over in the US and Europe, but it is often really, really difficult for the the Aussie and Asia time zones. Um, So yeah, really servicing this kind of area and time zone for sure. Yeah, so we'll we'll connect with you then because we're the same yeah. time. Yeah, My amazing. final question, as as <laughs> with everybody, so if so, Nelly, if you were given a, a magic wand and this magic wand will click into the ideal world, what would that world look like for you? Oh man, that is a huge question. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you know, like I. I deeply love my life as it is at the moment Mm -hmm. in in a whole. If there was something I could change, it would be an invitation. You know, I believe that the more we step into a state of radical self-responsibility, this creates huge change in the world. So that alongside an invitation for people to live biologically, right? Living logically with their biology, reconnecting with self each other and nature i think these are some pivotal things that would really bring our world into a space of you know yes pure love at the risk of sounding cliche oh, yeah absolutely <laughs> but yeah i mean my life is pretty pretty ideal as it is i love where i live you know physically i love where i live but they would be my invitations um yeah living biologically reconnect with self each other and nature and step into radical self-responsibility. And I would be so fascinated to see what kind of world that would create. Oh my gosh. And and that's what makes you an ideal person to learn all of this from because you come from that place. And I, and I think it's, it's a beautiful vision. It's definitely also, I share in this vision with you. This has been wonderful, Nelly. Thank you so much for giving yeah. us your time. And I look forward to reconnecting more and more with you and your community. And I'll make sure that the Filipinos uh, connect with your energy and your knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, yeah you're so welcome. I really, really enjoy this. Um, yeah, this format of conversation is something I deeply enjoy as well. And just mm-hmm. yeah, having that space to share, you know, not a snippet on Instagram, but really share the depth of um, lived GNM GHK experience, I think is so valuable and powerful for people to hear. Um, and that, you know, I'm just a mum of two from Western Australia. I'm not a scientist. I'm not, you know, medical degree. I'm, I'm yeah. you. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, like I'm one of my main missions is to really unite this community and get the information out there. Um, I have a lot of guest master classes in the academy as well. So, you know, I'm in contact with not that he'll do a masterclass, but I'm in contact with Sasha. Andy's going to, you know, we've got classes from Andy. We've got classes from Melissa. I really want to bring lots of different brains into, into the academy because I think hearing it in different ways is so beneficial for different people as well. You know, I've studied with dozens of teachers and consultants now, and I pick up different things from, there's always, you know, there's always bits of value to be drawn from the way, different ways that people say things. Yeah. We really need resources here. Like I'm definitely kind of, you know, like leading the way in Australia, but there's so much I know I don't know. Same as me. Yeah. Right. I know. Oh my God. And I'm just like treading water, trying to put, you know, as much as I can. And, and I'm really honest with my community about that as well. I'm like, I'm going to continue to update things. There will be things that I'm incorrect on and that come to light. And, you know, I just, I'm, I'm doing my best because it's like, there's, yeah, there's really not a lot else in Australia. I imagine it's this, you know, similar story in the Philippines, but. 
Yeah, exactly the same. And they're, they're, uh, they're getting it though, uh, slowly, they're really yeah. getting it. I'm, I'm getting so many cancer cases and all of that, that are like, yeah, wow. I've done everything, but I don't know what to do anymore. I'm like, you yeah. haven't tried everything. You haven't tried this. Yeah. Yeah. How you came to GNM, JHK. How did you find out about it? I just saw Carolyn Marcolin's video online. That's wow. it. And then it's like, click two years ago, yeah. just a breast cancer video. Click. That was Were it. Were you looking for something? No, I wasn't. It was like my higher self kind of said, watch this. Random. And while she was talking, I was like, yeah, because biohacking is pretty much without way. It's, it's self-sovereignty. It's mastering mm. your health. But GHK was like the missing link. It was a missing yeah. piece of biohacking. So yeah. So you've been in the biohacking scene for a while and then this just kind of. Yeah. This yeah, is wow. 2015. So same thing, no medication, no doctors. We do everything yeah. ourselves. We never get sick. But then there was always a, you know, there, there was a dependency on supplements and machines and, you know, fasting and all of that. But GHK was like, whoa, simplified everything. There was also homeopathy and, mm. and all yeah. Yeah. I really think that homeopathy has a place with GNM, GHK yes. too. I, I think there's yes. something there that we're yet to explore and understand properly. It's my first, it's my go-to when, yeah. when, when I can't see a person in, um, I just send them homeopathic remedies just to help wow. just for now. Yeah. It's my first. Go-to. Yeah. And do you use plant medicines at all? Essential oils, plant medicines, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, do you mean ayahuasca and psilocybin and all that? Yeah, the full realm, you know, right from essential oils and herbs to yes, Yes, pretty much in the Philippines is kind of that that kind of thing. Yeah, and ayahuasca and and psilocybin are starting to also have some buzz here. Yeah. Yeah. And breathwork, have you explored big, you know, holotropic breathwork and that sort of thing? I have. Yes, I have. It's, it's a big thing in the biohacking world. And I tried it in Hong Kong with a, with a French teacher there. And it's amazing. Is that the breathwork that you teach? Yeah. Yeah. Transcendental holotropic breathwork connected consciousness, um, which is, yeah, it just blew my mind the first time I experienced it. I was like, oh, this is definitely like, I know this is going to be part of my toolkit. Wow. Okay. So you yeah. hold retreats over there, like in-person retreats for hold events. Yeah. Events and one-on-one breathwork sessions. Yeah. Is there a, a place to get certified in that? Did... No, I did my training through Lucas and Hella from Awaken. They are doing amazing things with breathwork. Um, and I've actually ended up being a, a co-coach in their program this year um, or support coach um, for this year's students. But yeah, highly recommend checking them out if you're interested in that. Thank you so much, Ellie. Thanks for the opportunity and the invitation to share. My pleasure. Bye. As an adjunct to this episode, I'd like to talk about some Senseful Biological Special programs we discussed. All of this information can be found on the website learninggnm.com. Let's talk about pregnancy. Similar to all of nature's biological special programs, pregnancy unfolds in two distinct phases. In the initial three months, muscle tension intensifies, referred to as sympathicotonia, to ensure the secure implantation of the newly conceived embryo. However, in the subsequent six months of gestation, the uterine muscles relax to prevent premature labor, a state known as vagotonia. It's worth noting that any unexpected stress or conflict activity experienced by either the unborn child or the mother during this period could lead to a miscarriage. When labor begins, the uterine muscles undergo prolonged tonic contractions accompanied by rhythmic, clonic, peristaltic movements that can be likened to intestinal colic, all working in unison to facilitate the delivery process. 
This process also involves the cervix muscles, cervical sphincter, and vaginal muscles. From an evolutionary perspective, these tonic-clonic labor contractions serve as a fundamental blueprint for understanding the epileptoid crisis of striated muscles. Nellie also touched very briefly on Down syndrome. Dr. Hummer's groundbreaking discovery challenged the conventional understanding of this condition. He revealed that Down syndrome is not, as previously believed, caused by a trisomy 21 involving a third chromosome attached to the 21st gene pair. Instead, it is a result of biological conflicts experienced by the fetus specifically stemming from a double hearing conflict, also known as a hearing constellation. These conflicts typically occur within the first three months of pregnancy. For more information on this topic, you can refer to the GNM article titled Understanding Genetic Diseases and learn about how a four-year-old child successfully overcame this condition through the application of Germanic new medicine. I would also explore the book Mindstudenten Mädchen, in which the application of the therapeutic archaic melody also successfully balanced the biological program by listening to the song 24-7 for several months. Now let's talk about a separation conflict. Newborns can experience separation conflicts when they are parted from their mothers at birth, such as when they are placed in an incubator or given up for adoption. This kind of conflict can even manifest during the prenatal stage due to procedures like ultrasounds. The ultrasound's noise can drown out the comforting sound of the mother's heartbeat, which can be profoundly distressing for the developing fetus. Each ultrasound test can trigger a relapse of this conflict, as observed in conditions like Down syndrome. For infants, the mother serves as the most crucial attachment figure. She safeguards her child and can prevent these conflicts from occurring. Therefore, when a young child undergoes a separation conflict, a scare fight conflict, or territorial fear conflict, it typically indicates that the mother was absent during the moment the DHS, Dirk Hummer syndrome, or original biological conflict occurred. Children can also experience separation conflicts in various situations, such as scolding, punishment, abuse, the arrival of a new sibling who receives more attention, parental separation, restricted interactions with friends, parting from beloved toys, pets they like to cuddle with, or when the mother returns to work. This can also happen when they are placed in daycare, kindergarten, with relatives, or left in the care of a sitter or nanny. Similarly, the elderly may feel separated from their social circle when they transition into nursing homes or following the loss of a lifelong spouse or companion. The fear of losing contact with someone due to the prospect of divorce, a challenging long-distance or weekend relationship, the fear of a loved one leaving, relocating, or passing away, or feeling rejected by someone, for instance, due to a disagreement, can all trigger these conflicts. Even pets can experience separation conflicts when their owner departs or passes away or when they are placed in a kennel. Additionally, this conflict can also encompass the desire to separate from a person while not being able to do so, either physically or figuratively. This can occur in situations involving a demanding boss or teacher, an irritating colleague or schoolmate, or an abusive parent or spouse. 
Compare this with a touch conflict where the individual doesn't want to be touched, often associated with a myelin sheath. Vaginal sexual conflicts involving the vaginal mucosa and or the glands. In the conflict active phase, there is ulceration or cell loss in the vaginal mucosa, accompanied by a decrease in sensitivity. In cases of intense conflict activity, there may be a complete loss of sensitivity. The reduction in vaginal sensitivity serves a biological purpose, aiding in coping with the emotional stress associated with sexual separation. This phenomenon can also lead to short-term memory loss in individuals experiencing a separation conflict. Prolonged ulceration in the vagina can result in vaginal dryness, which is further influenced by factors like the Bartholin's glands. For sexually active women, the pain experienced during intercourse often triggers new sexual separation conflicts coupled with distress about their perceived inability to produce sufficient vaginal mucus. Consequently, vaginal dryness can become a chronic issue. It's essential to note that vaginal lubrication is regulated by the parasympathetic nervous system, which explains why stress or intense conflict activity or sympathicotonia can hinder vaginal moisture production. In the initial part of the healing phase, or PCLA, the ulceration is repaired through cell proliferation. Healing symptoms manifest as vaginal dermatitis accompanied by itching and pain. In cases where inflammation is involved, the condition is referred to as vaginitis. Vaginal discharge during this phase is typically clear, possibly with slight bleeding. When bacteria assist in the healing process, the discharge may turn yellow, contrasted with discharge stemming from fungal activity in the uterus or Bartholin's glands. Following the epileptoid crisis in PCLB, the condition normalizes, assuming there are no conflict relapses. It is crucial to mention that all epileptoid crises controlled from the sensory, postsensory, or premotor sensory cortex can result in circulatory issues, dizziness, short-term disturbances of consciousness, or even complete loss of consciousness, fainting, or absence, depending on the intensity of the conflict. Another hallmark symptom is a drop in blood sugar caused by the brain cell's excessive consumption of glucose, distinct from hypoglycemia associated with the islet cells of the pancreas. Vaginal herpes presents as blisters and sores in the vaginal area akin to herpes on the external genital organs. It's important to note that according to conventional medicine, genital herpes is often labeled as a sexually transmitted disease attributed to a quote-unquote herpes virus. However, this theory lacks scientific proof. Just like other venereal diseases, genital herpes cannot be sexually transmitted as the symptoms are typically healing responses. Vaginal warts, also known as genital warts, are the result of recurring conflict relapses mirroring the pattern seen with cervical warts. When fungi participate in the healing process, it can lead to candidiasis. Also see candidiasis associated with the uterus mucosa and fallopian tubes. The discharge resulting from fungal activity during cell removal is expelled through the vaginal opening. It's important to clarify that the origin of vaginal discharge lies in the Bartholin's glands, not, as commonly assumed, in the vagina itself. 
This is because the vaginal canal lacks an endodermal submucosa, and therefore it is not a habitat for fungi or TB bacteria. Frequent conflict relapses can result in the loss of glandular tissue, which, in turn, results in persistent vaginal dryness. As with other conditions often categorized as venereal diseases, it's crucial to emphasize that candidiasis is not contagious. In instances where the male partner also experienced candidiasis, it indicates that he concurrently faced the conflict of not being able to penetrate a tight or dry vagina. This typically results in penile candidiasis during the healing phase. It's noteworthy that antibiotics can also induce vaginal dryness by disrupting the normal vaginal flora, primarily consisting of Lactobacillus acidophilus bacteria. The fungal infection is an outcome of the medication side effects, particularly the inability to produce sufficient vaginal mucus. Symptoms of candidiasis, including discharge and itching, typically manifest during the healing phase or after completing antibiotic treatment. Further treatments can inadvertently perpetuate this cycle. The biological conflict associated with the retina is linked to a persistent fear in the neck, an overwhelming fear that can't be easily shaken off. This fear might be related to concerns about losing a loved one, one's home, fear of punishment, abuse, unemployment, financial hardships or poverty, persecution, whether religious, ethnic, or political, or even the fear of having cancer, often triggered by medical tests and follow-up examinations. Children can also experience this conflict when exposed to domestic violence. In the conflict-active phase, there is a functional loss due to the reduction of retinal photoreceptor cells. This biological response serves the purpose of temporarily rendering the source of fear invisible, similar to how children cover their eyes when scared. Loss of rod cells, which are responsible for vision in low-light conditions, can result in nyctalopia or night blindness, making it difficult to see in dim light or darkness. It's important to note that the retina is among the organs that respond to related conflicts with either hyperfunction or functional loss as opposed to cell proliferation or cell loss. Intense conflict activity can lead to diminished vision in a specific area of the visual field known as gotoma due to the breakdown of retinal cells. However, with a moderate conflict, the reduced vision may not be as noticeable as the other half of the retina compensates for the vision loss. It's worth mentioning that whether the right or left halves of the retina are affected depends on a person's handedness and the nature of the conflict, whether mother-child related or partner related. Concerning the retina, the laterality principle is reversed. Where the right halves of the retina predominantly relates to one's mother and children for right-handed individuals and to a partner for left-handers. Conversely, the left halves of the retina relate to a partner for right-handed individuals and to one's mother and children for left-handers. During the healing phase, the function of the photoreceptor cells is restored. In the initial part of this phase, or PCLA, an edema forms between the choroid and the affected area of the retina. During the epileptoid crisis, this edema is expelled, resulting in flashes of light or photopsia. These flashes can be short bursts or occur continually until the retina is repaired. 
A scintillating scotoma is characterized by visual sparks, flickering lights, shimmering zigzag lines, or colorful patterns in the visual field. These episodes often recur and are triggered by the track established during the original fear conflict, with their duration being influenced by the intensity of the epileptoid crisis. Visual auras, which are similar to scintillating scotomas, often precede a migraine headache. However, not all individuals with migraines experience auras, and auras can sometimes occur independently of migraine pain. This suggests a combination of two distinct epileptoid crisis events. Recurring conflict relapses can lead to the formation of scar tissue and a hardening or callosity in the retina. If the hardening occurs laterally, it elongates the eyeball, leading to nearsightedness or myopia. Conversely, if the hardening is in the back or dorsal, it compresses the eyeball, resulting in farsightedness or hyperopia in both eyes. At this stage, the condition becomes irreversible. Paranoia Constellation These conflicts are characterized by persistent fear in the neck and apprehension of a predator. These conflicts manifest in the retina and the vitreous body, both controlled from the visual cortex. The visual cortex is situated at the back of the head, thus establishing a connection with persecution conflicts. The left halves of the retina and the left halves of the vitreous body in both eyes are under the influence of the left side of the visual cortex, while the right halves of the retina and the right halves of the vitreous body are controlled by the right side of the visual cortex. The specific brain hemisphere that processes these conflicts is determined by a person's biological handedness and whether the conflicts are related to mother-child or partner dynamics. As there is no crossover correlation from the brain to the organ, the principle of laterality is reversed. The paranoia constellation takes shape when the second conflict registers in the opposite brain hemisphere. These conflicts might also emerge simultaneously. The constellation can persist or recur due to established tracks or conflict relapses. In the context of the visual cortex constellation, paranoia arises. The purpose of paranoid thoughts or behaviors is to maintain a state of hypervigilance, preparing for a conflict of a similar nature. The intensity of the paranoia is proportionate to the strength of the underlying conflicts. Depending on the original conflict scenario, individuals in this constellation may develop an enduring suspicion that others harbor hostile intentions toward them. This could manifest as concerns about a partner's fidelity, a family member's financial motives, the fear of being deceived or taken advantage of, and more. With the fears of predators such as tax inspectors, bailiffs, government authorities, or the police are particularly strong, they can give rise to so-called persecutory delusions, where individuals believe that others are actively plotting against them, e.g., they are out to get me. In psychiatric terms, these delusions are often diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenia. Compulsive paranoid behaviors can involve repeated checks to ensure doors are securely locked, electrical appliances are turned off, 
wallets and purses are in order, and excessive scrutiny for errors when writing checks, completing forms, or searching for spelling mistakes. Additionally, individuals may engage in obsessive cleaning or compulsive hand washing due to an obsession with germs, dirt, or sweat, with sweat potentially leading to a track of compulsive showering or excessive laundry washing. Learn Germanic New Medicine while you're healthy. This is the true way to gain health sovereignty. In biohacking, you control your biology so it doesn't control you. But first, heal your mindset. To Biohacking and Beyond, see you in the next episode.